Expos and TKOs. We're live. Episode 5 coming at you on this beautiful Monday afternoon right during the 4th of July week celebration. For me, I know with the 4th being on a Tuesday, not a doesn't really feel like a 4th of July celebration. Uh, plus, I am preparing to head to Seattle for All-Star Baseball next week. UFC 291 in Salt Lake City coming soon. So your boy's just laying low, ready to deliver you the best weekly MMA content out there. But before we talk MMA, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Bows and TKOs, and that is Fueled Supplements. So Bows and TKOs is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete or busy mom on the go, or you're just looking for a perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. You could choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. So go to FueledSupplements.com, use our promotion code BUCKETS, that's B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off products. And we know it's summertime, you're trying to be that summertime fine, get shredded, uh, put some weight on, lose some weight, whatever it is, support small business, you know, skip the GNC trip. Take the stuff out of your Amazon court, uh, Amazon cart. Support small business. That's what it's all about. Thanks to my guy at Field Supplements, Josh Morin. But we're going to jump in. There's been a few fights booked. We had UFC Fight Night Vegas 76. And what got me the most hype this week is we got UFC 290 going down in T-Mobile International Fight Week. UFC X, the whole deal going on this week. So tons to cover. But some fights that have been officially booked. I believe the evening uh, I posted episode four. This got booked. I'm hyped up about this one. We got Kelvin Gastelum going down and fighting a killer in Shafkat Rachmanov, September 16th. This is the Mexican Independence Day. And Tracy Cortez added that card as well, taking on Jasmine Jasuduvacius, who just fought uh, on the Canada card, 916. And then we have Jake Matthews and Miguel Beiza, July 29th, added to that 291 card. Give me all the scraps. That's going to be a great one. Uh, Ultimate Fighter alumni, Juliana Miller, looking to get on the winning track, taking on Luana Santos. And then I'm sure everyone saw a couple fights been called off. Henry Cejudo out uh, of the Cheeto fight due to injury. No opponent um, announced, but we still have some time for that at UFC 292. And then... Sean Brady out this weekend. Josiah Harrell is in against uh, Jack Della Maddalena. So he gets to stay on the card and we'll break that down. Outside of UFC, we have Junior Dos Santos taking on Fabricio Verdum September 8th in Jacksonville, Florida under the Game Bread BKFC promotion. So Jorge Masvidal is retired from MMA, but he, he is not away from MMA as he is getting... Uh, a lot of legacy fights going down. This will be very fun to see Fabricio and JDS and Bare Knuckle. Um, we did an episode, uh, recap the last Ultimate Fighter episode. Um, obviously, a new one out tonight. I won't be able to, or tomorrow night, won't be able to recap until next week. And next week, I will be doing a podcast on Sunday. I thought about recording this last night, didn't get to make it happen. But next week, I have to because I'll be flying to Seattle um, um, that evening. So, yeah, I'm basically going to have to 
It's going to be a busy Sunday now that I realize that. But regardless, it is what it is because we're going to want to be able to break down this amazing UFC card, and there's obviously more action next week. Um, So Ultimate Fighter, again, the veterans doing work. Um, The end of the show, finally the buildup between uh, Chandler and McGregor. A lot of it's been leaked online already, uh, which brings all the drama. Um, But... uh, this week, it's supposed to be Connor's uh, number one recruit, uh, one of his top guys, taking on a veteran number four seed. And, you know, really, it's just Connor being Connor. He hasn't been that involved. He's dancing during his fighters walkout. He's doing the thing. It's kind of been just an interesting cat and mouse game. I think a lot of people thought they would get a lot more coaching and, and just excitement out of what Connor's doing on the Ultimate Fighter. But it feels like he has a consolidation prize. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see the the real episode draw out with the drama next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a weird thing. And I enjoy it because it's about the fighter stories. It's about finding the fighters that you can either align with, relate to, or just root for and follow their careers in the UFC. I know a lot of people want the reality TV version. More drama, the better. So, to me... You know, I, I wasn't as hyped that Connor's in it as most people. Obviously, there was the drama leaked before the season was leaked about the push and the shove. So wanted to see how that would unfold. Um, but yeah, I'm rooting for the vets. A lot of good stories. They've been doing work. Will be interesting to see the last few weeks and see 406 alumni Hunter Azure finally step in there. Um, fingers crossed. Knock on wood. All goes well there. Outside of just fighting, uh, there was the Fight Pass Invitational which had some big-time grappling bouts. There was the um, no-weight-limit $35,000 grand champion, and then there was some superstar-studded uh, matched-up fights. We had Roman Bravo Young, the Penn State alumni, um, grappling against Alex Perez. Showed off some good jiu-jitsu. Just makes you intrigued of what RBY could be at the bantamweight or featherweight division in the UFC. I would assume it would be bantamweight. Um, we haven't seen him box, but... Uh, he, he showed some really good jiu-jitsu game. Uh, almost had our, uh, Alex Perez in a bad spot at the very end of the round. But due to the scoring, it was a draw. Although if we had to pick a winner, RBY definitely would have won. And Alex Perez held his ground against a really good wrestler. So uh, good for Alex. We know he has good grappling. Glover Teixeira defeating Anthony Smith via unanimous decision. Uh, both fighters really, you know, both grapplers, I guess you could say, really had their moments. Alex Smith had some good submission attempts. He sat on his butt, bringing the fight towards him one time. And uh, Glover Teixeira doing what Teixeira does best, just smash and pass, uh, find a way to get into um, uh, full mountain control. And uh, he was able to control with with the top game enough to get the decision uh, with the three-round version, which I love the scoring and the rounds and the open scoring that they have for uh, the UFC events. And then we had the very famous Nick Rodriguez, Nicky Rodriguez, ex-teammate of Gordon, uh, Ryan, the best grappler out there. Lots of drama between those two, steroids accusations. Uh, Gordon is recovering from some injuries and surgeries. Um, so he, he won the whole tournament, beat Dan Montesui, uh, a huge Russian via rear naked choke, made it look easy after a very tough uh, semifinal matchup and uh, won the $35,000. Called him out to Gordon Ryan out to a, a USADA testing match. Doesn't seem like Gordon Ryan's really intrigued. He doesn't says he doesn't want his name out of his mouth. That's how he's making money. Blah blah blah. 
But if Gordon Ryan does get healthy anytime soon, plenty of intrigue there. And then Craig Jones in the finale using the scoring uh, overtime ability to get the victory over a very, very good Felipe Pena. Uh, he won by fastest escape time in overtime. So for me, I bring it up because there's some big names. It's fun. If you want to get into grappling like I am, let me know. You know, you, you, I'll break them down for you. Um, I don't necessarily recommend a lot of UFC fight fans watch this as it's a, a lot more low-key, right? Um, a lot of casual people could come in and enjoy the UFC and other MMA promotions because it is fighting, pretty self-explanatory. But this is definitely more for the diehards. As I'm training jiu-jitsu, it's fun to see. It's like uh, uh, seeing, you know, if you're a quarterback, the best of the best play quarterback. So you're just seeing the best of the best, what they do, their mindset in the chess match of grappling and jiu-jitsu. Uh, but it was a great, uh, uh, really great overall uh, evening for the Fight Pass Invitational. I can't wait to see uh, more of those happen. And uh, as a Fight Pass subscriber, you know, I'm all for it. So I enjoyed it. But let's talk the card that happened last weekend. Some quick action, lots of knockouts, lots of finishes if you're into that. UFC Fight Night Vegas 76. I went 7-5 and five in my picks. So a uh, pretty average day in the office there. We are 29 and 19 thus far on bows and TKOs. Let's see if we can add some more dubs this weekend. Um, but some fights that we did not break down. A great fight between Joe Anderson Brito, who had a round one knockout over Weston Wilson. Um, quick finish. And then another quick finish. Nursultan Ruzaboev with a round one knockout over Bruno Fiera. Performance of the night. Very impressive as Bruno had come in, made his UFC uh, debut, I believe it was against RoboCop and got the knockout victory. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's the real deal. So then answer, uh, insert Ruzaboev, and then he comes in and does the same thing. His stock is even higher. I just want to confirm it was RoboCop. So Bruno, yep, came in, finished Gregory RoboCop in the first round. Then he gets finished, so some quick action, um, some some lack of performance of the Knights, though, based off the action that there was, if you ask me. But we're going to kick it off in the prelims, having the big dogs, two heavyweight ranked fighters, kick off the card, which was a little surprising. But the way the fight out, I guess, the fight played out, I guess the matchmakers knew what they were doing. It was kind of a slow back-and-forth boxing affair, uh, Romanov was just landing more volume, but Blagoy really didn't get a lot going. There wasn't as much grappling in this fight as I anticipated. Um, and the whole talk for me was leading into the fight week is how is Romanov going to look? Cause he looked like a serious threat in the heavyweight division. And then, uh, the past two or the, yeah, the last fight, maybe two fights, he definitely has gained some weight. You know, I didn't know if that was strategy or just because, of lack of dedication, determination, and willingness to want to win. So some of the media did a good job, found out that he said there's some been some terrible things that have happened in his life, no details, um, and that, um, you know, that's led to him keeping, you know, away from the training that he wants to do. He's worked harder. He, he wants to be better. So at least we know he's acknowledging that, and it's not just a, uh, you know, like a zero I give zero fucks situation. Um, but, uh, round one, I, I thought Romanov won the round just by volume itself. Very close round though. 
Round two, he finally got a takedown and was a lot more advantageous than Bogoy. And then Bogoy tried tried his best in round three, but it was a little bit too late. Um, not a lot of big moments in this fight. It was just Romanov sticking out the jab, landing some volume to get the scoring decisions. And uh, at least we have some insight into his weight gain. That's the biggest takeaway here. So uh, Romanov landed 104 total, 85 significant strikes, two takedowns and three attempts. And Blagoy landed 44 total strikes and significant. So Romanov starts a new winning streak. He moves to 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2022. And Blagoy extends his losing streak to 2. He is 3-4 and four since the beginning of 2019. Give me Romanov and Jarzinho Rosen strike. I think that would be a great fight. We'll see, you know, what the matchmakers have in plan for Romanov. Um, Rosen strike on a skid. Uh, the young talent, it makes sense. But with him and his weight and his life, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns there. And for Bagoy, if he is continuing to fight in the UFC, which you never know with the guy at his age that hasn't been as active, um, Andre Arlovsky, the vet showdown, Blagoy and Arlovsky, it's, it's kind of crazy and they never cross paths. That would be the, be the fight to make. would be a win-win for both guys, so cheers to that one. It's getting hot out here, by the way. It's like 113 today, maybe 115. And every day in the next 10 days is, is like 108 or higher. Uh, so really looking forward to heading to Seattle and getting some high 70s, low 80s, a couple golf outings in, and then head to Montana in August to escape the, ha- escape the heat a little bit, have some fun on the lake out there. But moving on, um, fight of the night early on. I did not expect the fight to go this way, but Elves Brenner with a round three TKO over Garam Kutatalazi. And, uh, you know, very much credit to um, Elves in this fight is he looked honestly like the Brazilian zombie, I guess we could call it. He, he kept getting pieced up, kept coming forward. Guram, who is not a guy that uh, usually is on top with ground and pound and looking for takedowns, well, in this fight landed a nasty elbow. That's a bow and TKO highlight if I've ever seen one. Cuts the hairline of Bruno. Uh, or a Brenner, and Elves has the the Charles Oliveira. He trains out his shoot box, the blonde hair going for him, and it turned red. It almost looked like Devinson Figueredo, the god of war, with the white and red look. It made it more vicious, made the fight more fun, although that's the damage on the scorecards that's supposed to help Guram. And uh, the fact that Elves was able to take all this damage, I mean, round one, uh, Guram landed 30 significant strikes. Elves did have two takedowns. They didn't last very long. Guram did really good coming up. And round two was really total domination. Uh, Guram landed 41 total strikes, 33 of those significant, had a takedown, multiple elbows, multiple ground and pound. And then um, in round three, um, you could tell Guram didn't have much left in the tank. And uh, Elves was just able to continue pushing forward, wear the damage, do whatever he had to do to finish the fight. And with all the strikes that Guram landed, uh, it was definitely too much for him. And the, the wild thing is, is how technical of a striker Guram is versus Elves. You look at these two guys, you know, not to, to be rude or anything, but it's like Guram is a completely higher class fight. But Elves, the Brazilian zombie, came in Rocky style hit, you know, took and absorbed every shot he had to do so he could uh, find his opening, 
once the gas tank got a little low on Kutataladze's part and went in and got the job done and really had a uh, a nice finish in the in, in the third round and gets a high high quality win early on in his UFC career. So watch out for the Brazilian zombie Elves Brenner, man. Golly. Um overall stats, Elves landed 93 total strikes, 65 of those significant. He had two takedowns and seven attempts. So not a good ratio there, but got some takedowns. And then he had that knockdown as well. And Guram landed 99 total strikes, 85 of those significant. Had to take down himself in three attempts. So Elves extends his winning streak to four. He is 2-0 in the UFC. Guram extends his losing streak to two. He is 1-2 in the UFC. Very tough opponents, very tough goes. Uh, it was great to see him after a couple pullouts get back in there, though, and, and see him with his technical striking. It is something to watch. Uh, for Guram, I think a fight with uh, Nazrat Haparist would be ideal and would be fun for fight fans. And for Elves, a scrap with Mark Madsen would make sense. He's going to continue moving up the leaderboard. Can't have a slow start like that. But what a showing fight of the night by the Shootbox team and uh, Mr. Elves Brenner with a huge, huge win and put me at 1-1 one one on my pickums as I had Garam winning. And my parlays were gone from there. Then we had Carol Hosa with a split decision win over Giannis Santos. And uh, this was a very, very close fight. Um, I actually had Yana winning the first two rounds and winning the fight overall. I have not watched it back since then. I haven't had time to do that yet. But I thought, yeah, she won rounds one and two. Um, her game plan was to get uh, Hosa in distance, not keep her away so she could pick at her. She wanted to get her up against the cage, get her in clinching situations, and I could understand from the judging that Yana did have her in the clinch. She was landing some shots, but they weren't very damaging. But at the same time, she could completely controlled the first couple rounds, was able to wear on Hosa. She was able to have better cardio, outlast Santos, win round three, land more strikes, which ended up being in the judges' favor. But the, the judging is round by round, and I don't see how you could give Hosa the first two rounds. So... Um, you know, very tough luck for Yana, especially on the skid she, that she's on. But very, very close fight. Again, not a ton of action. It's funny, a couple of these fights that went to decision, not a lot of action. The rest of the fights, straight action right out the gate. Um, statistically, I mean, this tells the story as well. Yana landed 151 total strikes. 95 of those were significant. Carol landed 117 total so quite a bit, you know, almost 40 less overall and 66 significant and 30 less significant. She did have the takedown, though. And uh, Carol starts a new winning streak. She moves to 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2022. Both fights um, at bantamweight and featherweight, so she's been ba bouncing back. I mean, the girls that can fight featherweight, it's a, a crap shoot, especially with Nunez going out. I'm really interested to see what the future holds there. Uh, Yana extends her losing streak to three. She has not won since February of 21. So what's next for these women? I would love to see Hosa stay at featherweight. If that is uh, going to be the case, a fight with Josanne Nunez, that's the one to make. And for Yana, how about Alexis Davis? Um, but again, we have no idea what the division future is here. And then what a performance shutting down the return hype. Renat Fakhradinov with a first-round submission via guillotine choke over Kevin Lee. 
And there wasn't much to this fight. Kevin was getting pushed back. Renat was coming forward. Big right hand. Sat Kevin down. Got some grounded pound against the cage. Got the neck. And that was it. And welcome back to the UFC for Kevin Lee. I mean, we knew this was a tough matchup coming in. But he can just not catch a break. The fight game can be brutal, man. Um, and all of the teammates that have been trained with Kevin have been, including Gilbert Burns, have been talking how highly uh, uh, of what he's done and what he's been putting out in practice. Um, but Renat's a problem, man. Uh, it only took Renat 11 total and significant strikes. He did have a submission attempt and a knockdown. And Kevin landed three total and significant strikes. So Renat extends his winning streak to 20. He is 3-0 in the UFC. And Kevin starts a new losing streak and moves to 2-4 and four since the beginning of 2019. He is a poor 1-4 in the UFC. Tough, tough break there uh, since 2019. So what's next? On Matchmaker Monday, I said Randy Brown and Fakhar Adinov, two strikers going at it. Um, a little bit more step up in the rankings for a knot, but this guy is ready for the best in the division. What a deep, hard hitting division this is. And for Kevin, uh, Kevin, a fight with Gabe green would buy, be ideal for both fighters desperate to get back on track. It's almost a must win situation. Um, I, I think that would be an ideal matchup. If the UFC is going to let Kevin Lee return, I'm sure he'll continue to be rostered after this fight, but Renat, watch out. He's a problem. And then moving on into the main card, we had Benoit Saint-Denis with a first-round submission via face crank over Ismael Bonfim. And uh, the Bonfim brothers are very high-quality fighters coming from the Contender Series. I thought uh, Saint-Denis would be willing to throw, but I did not think that his aggressiveness right after the bell would lead to no offense by Bonfim. I mean, he came in with some, like, Bilal Muhammad looking body kicks, high kicks that just goes across your body, either break your arm, break your, your you know, get you in the ribs or wherever it lands, it's going to hurt. Um, and uh, he kind of said post-fight interview, you know, I wanted to land these kicks to shut down his hands because that's where he does best. And boy, did he, um, as basically Bonfim was on the retreat the entire time. Uh, Saint Denis got in with the grappling and uh, really just used his aggressiveness to his advantage. So interesting game plan, and boy, did it turn out for Saint-Denis. And sorry, I feel kind of weird with some of my pronunciations. I try to do them with this Invisalign. I'm still getting used to it. Oh, man, it's, it's something else. Uh, but statistically, Ismail landed 15 total strikes, 14 of those significant. Benoit landed 35 total, 13 significant. He had two takedowns and seven attempts, so it was relentless on <laughs> chopping him to the cage, closing distance, getting the takedown. He had two submission attempts as well on the bottom. So um, Saint-Denis extends his winning streak to three. He is an impressive three and one in the UFC. Ismael has his 13 fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak of his own. He is two and one overall in the UFC. Again, a massive victory for Saint-Denis kicking off uh, early on in the main card. So, um, I definitely think Benoit's going to be getting some stiff competition. Um, I could see some wars coming up against some veterans like Drakkar Close or Diego Fieta, which stylistically, man, those are going to be bangers. And for Ismail, Gregor Gillespie, that would be the match. 
But I doubt that that happens. It seems like Gillespie wants very top-ranked people not getting it. He has been on radio silence for some time. So give me Joe Selecki. I think that would still be a fun matchup for Bonfim. And talking about young talent, how about Michael Morales with a unanimous decision over Max Griffin? I mean, this kid looked fantastic over the course of three rounds. He was pushing the pace, controlling the center of the octagon, mixing up combinations, has nice kicks. And I talked about the level of uh, fight fight game that Mike Max Griffin's brought to the octagon lately has been massively impressive. And I think, you know, he's definitely a veteran. He's been in there with a lot of good names. He's fighting the best of his ability. And you wanted to notice it against Michael Morales. I mean, this kid really did anything he wanted to uh, in the octagon. You could tell there's a lot of things that he could still learn. But against Max Griffin, very, very well done. Round one uh, was pretty close. They were filling each other out. But from there, it was just a relentless attack by Morales. He doubled the strike output in round two. In round three, he got a takedown, was landing significant strikes. Um, I'm really excited to see the future of Michael Morales. I did not know much of him coming in. I assumed with where they put him on the main card and against a very good veteran that he was there for a reason. And boy, was he. Uh, statistically, overall, Max landed 39 total strikes, 36 of those significant. He was 0 for 8 in takedown attempts. Michael landed 73 total strikes, 72 significant. So almost everything he threw had some power. He had a takedown as well. But I was impressed not only by the ability to mix it up, but avoid the takedown, which is going to be crucial in this division as he moves up. So Michael stays undefeated. He extends his winning streak to 15. He is 4-0 in the UFC. Very impressive. Uh, Max starts a new losing streak and moves to 3-2 since the beginning of 2021. So give me the dynamic Michael versus Phil Rowe. I think that would be fantastic. Another great striking matchup. Um, I, I put that on the matchmaker Monday. And for Max, how about Brian Battle, uh, who just came off that brilliant Charlotte victory? I think that would be an ideal matchup for both men. Moving on, though, boy, was this a clean performance. I mean, we had a lot of them. Sat Denis really blowing up. Fokker Adinov, if you don't know, now you know. Elves Brenner with the shocker. Uh, Michael Morales, and then KGD, Grant Dawson with the unanimous decision victory over Demir Ismogulov. And my thoughts coming in is there's no way that Grant just relentlessly tries to get takedowns like Armand Sakarian did, and I was wrong. It just shows you the level of respect these guys have of the striking of Demir, and they're not letting it get going at all. I mean, Grant, as soon as he found an opening, was getting the takedown, was locking in the body um, triangle right away so he could keep Demir down at the mat and have control time. He was trying for submission attempts, but Demir did good in his defensive battles and, and was able to last, but really did not have a chance to get anything going. The first round, for about the first minute and a half, he was able to strike back and forth. But unlike the Sarukian fight, Grant wasn't just going for takedown, takedown. He would stand up and strike, and right at the perfect moments, he would come in, get the blast double, single, whatever it needed, whatever he needed to do to get the takedown, and was able to get that body triangle in really, really quick. Um, so 
Statistically, Demir only landed 35 total strikes, 13 of those significant. He had a reversal as well. And Grant landed 84 total strikes, 30 of those significant, with three takedowns and five attempts and the submission attempt. So clearly not a lot of striking. It was Grant just controlling hand fighting with Demir for a few rounds. Uh, not the fight that, you know, I, I wish we could have saw Demir do a little bit more. And a guy who just thought about retirement now gets wrestled and grappled the whole time. You can only imagine what he thinks. But hopefully we could get him with a striker or he's just going to have to focus on the takedown defense because there's some killers here in the lightweight division, the deepest, highest quality division in the UFC in my book. But man, uh, Grant, to be able to do that, it's impressive. I mean, Demir's no slouch when it comes to grappling. You know, it's not like he's a striker that has no idea how to grapple. He does a lot of the right things, but Grant is just that good uh, and has such a good game plan. He looks like he's from Dagestan the way he does it. Um, but Grant extends his winning streak to 11. He, ha- he does have a draw in between, but he is 9-0-1 in the UFC. And Demir extends his losing streak to 2. He moves to 5-2 and two in his UFC tenure. Now for Grant... Talked about this on Matchmaker Monday. I think he's ready for the top 10 in the division or higher. I think Mateusz Gamrot would be ideal. He's available. Similar fighting styles. That would be the appropriate next step. And for Demir, give me the non-grappling showdown with Drew Dober. Come on now. Let's make that happen. And then the main event, man. Sean Strickland with a second-round TKO over Abus Magomedov. Performance of the night, Sean Strickland with another 50G bonus. And this was the tell of two rounds. Round one, Abus came out relentless, had Sean rocked a couple times and was looking to get for the finish. But he was so gassed after all those power strikes that round two, Sean was just putting him on, picking him apart. And it looked like Abus was so tired he didn't even want to be there, to be honest. Which, you know, a guy that you look at his career come from the PFL, hasn't done a lot of amazing things. Gets a chance at a main event headliner against Sean Strickland with a full camp and uh, basically gives up after a round uh, due to gassing out. Not the best strategy, but maybe he was absolutely that confident he could finish Sean. He landed 32 total and significant strikes in round one compared to Sean's 11 and had the takedown and had him rocked. Um, And then Sean put it on him 70 to 15 in round two. So, again, the tell of two uh, rounds. Um, I, I was really worried with Sean and, and his defense and how, he, how, how high he has his chin. Abus was close a couple times, landed a couple times, but Sean's tough. He's durable. He's been fighting a lot of the high-class guys, and he's able just to, you know, weirdly just get a, an inch or two enough out of the way so it doesn't land flesh. So, overall, Sean landed 81 total strikes, 81 significant had the knockdown, and Abus landed 47 total and significant. Then he had the one takedown and two attempts. So Sean extends his winning streak to two. He is three and two since the beginning of 2022. Uh, he's been active. He's been headlining, short notice, you know, full camp, you name it. And um, Magomedov has his three-fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak, and he moves to one and one in the UFC. Again, you know, I'm, I I don't understand how this got made. Really, uh, one and you know, one and O UFC fighter in with Sean, uh, especially a guy that's a little bit older, has been in other promotions. He had his shot. He went for it in round one. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I'm still scratching my head on why this even happened. Now, uh, what's next? I think uh, for Sean, it's about time these guys' uh, paths cross. Give me Marvin Vittori, Sean Strickland. That, that's the match to make. And for, Nurmagomed, or for Magomedov, how about a matchup with Jacob, Ma- Jacob Malkoon? That's the one for me. But enough of this Apex nonsense. We had some finishes. We had some good performances. But this weekend is stealing the headlines. My birthday weekend always is International Fight Week. We got early prelims on at 3 p.m. on UFC Fight Pass, probably ESPN Plus as well. And then the prelims are on ESPN and ABC at 5 p.m. So we got the premier networking and broadcasting as well. Some quality fights that we will not be breaking down. We have the Contender Series alum, Cameron Simon, taking on Terrence Mitchell. He's a pretty big favorite. And then Tatsuru Tyra, who was supposed to fight two weeks ago, is getting the short notice appearance um, over Edgar Chárez because um, his last opponent weighed in too much and they decided not to do it. So he'll be uh, fighting in the early prelims as well. But we're going to kick it off with Marcin Procnio, the 34-year-old fighter with a 16-6 record, taking on Vitor Aikau Petrino, the 25-year-old fighter with an undefeated 8-0 record. And man, this is this is a big opportunity for both fighters. Um, you get a win here, you're probably battling in the top 15 as the light heavyweight division is pretty shallow. Victor's cruised through his UFC opponents this far, but he's only 25 years old and has so much to learn. Marcin's back on the winning track. He definitely needs a win to get back to where he once was. And when we break these guys down, Marcin has a Kaioshin karate background. He's got a black, black belt in Kaioshin and a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a one-championship alumni. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. Getting some dubs, not super active. 11 of his 16 wins are via knockout. And four of his six losses are via knockout to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, Vitor is undefeated. He is on an eight-fight winning streak. He's a Contender Series alum. He's 2-0 in the UFC. Six of his eight wins are via knockout. And he does have a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Now, is it Vitor or Victor? Jesus. Vitor... um, Looked great in his last fight with Anton Tercal. I think it's Tercali. But Marcin definitely has a lot more experience. He has good fighting IQ. I assume his team is going to have a great game plan that eliminates Vitor's power, puts him up against the cage, the classic dirty boxing, the clinches. I think Marcin can handle the early storm, get Vitor into the rounds two and three where he gasses out a little bit and uses that kickboxing to his advantage. For that... I'm putting my uh, I'm, I'm I'm putting the underdog on my bets. I'm taking Mar- Marcin Procnio, but I am not putting him on a parlay. But let the underdogs uh, come out and eat this weekend. <laughs> Moving on in the prelims, we got Jimmy the Brute Crew, 27 years old with a 12-3 and one record, and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Alonzo Atomic Menafield. The 35-year-old fighter with a 13-3-1 record. And this is interesting because we just had this fight in February. It was ruled a majority draw. 
it's not a very normal thing to happen, but uh, especially a rematch of non-top contenders. But this was a fun fight the first time. You know, both fighters are back into doing it again, so why not run it back? It's a great way to start the prelims, especially a lot on the line for both of these guys, especially Jimmy Crew, although he's only 27. So Jimmy's got an, he's an orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ and a, bl a green belt in judo. He's on a two-fight losing streak before the draw, and he has not won since October of 2020. He is a Contender Series alum, and two of his three losses are via knocked, uh, knockout. Now, Alonzo is coming off a two-fight winning streak before the draw, opposite end of the spectrum. He is a Bellator RFA, LFA, and Contender Series two times alum. He's been everywhere, man. Ten of his 13 wins are via knockout. The first fight between these guys was really that close. I actually gave the fight to Jimmy, especially because Alonzo had a one-point reduction for a blatant fence grab that avoided the takedown. Um, so I thought uh, Jimmy won the first one. With... Five months in between the original fight, I don't expect a ton to change. You know, the, the takeaways in the first fight was Menafield definitely was winning the striking exchanges that were more so just boxing. And I think Jimmy needs to add more leg kicks, keep Alonzo's power away from him, needs to keep mixing in that grappling and not gas herself out just going for you know multiple doubles. Uh, find the openings, mix it up, keep Alonzo guessing. I think that will bode well for him. The odds on this are a little bit everywhere in some books, but you can get Jimmy as a dog somewhere. Well, I'm risking it. I'm taking the majority draw, close bow. I'm taking the brute crew. I am putting them on my parlay. We are marking it down, and we getting that bread. Let the dogs come to hoot. And then moving on, the short notice affair, we have Jack Della Maddalena. <coughs> The 26-year-old fighter with a 14-2 record and the number 14 next to his name. Taking on Josiah the Muscle Hamster Harrell. The 24-year-old fighter with a 7-0 undefeated record. I like the Muscle Hamster nickname. So Jack obviously needed a, 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 an opponent. He gets to stay on the main card. Uh, he's taking on an undefeated LFA and Cage Fury alum who just fought is bouncing back to get, you know, get things back on track quickly in his UFC de C debut. And I guess he's not on the main card. He's in the prelims, but at least he gets to stay on this massive card. That's what I was trying to say. So, um, yeah, you know, he's an LFA cage free alum. He just fought recently as well. So this is going to be interesting bounce back affair. And, you know, these guys that are signing to the UFC, uh, at such a young age, you know, he could shock the world with the win over the number 14th ranked and a bad dude in JDM. Jack has a boxing background. He has a brown belt in BJJ. The last three of his fights have all been performance of the night. He's been showing out. He's the uh, ESPN in 2022 voted him UFC Rookie of the Year. He is a Cage Warriors and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a 14-fight winning streak and is 5-0 in the UFC. And 11 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, Josiah is undefeated on a 7-fight winning streak. He's a Cage Fury and LFA alum. And 4 of his 7 wins are via knockout. 
I'm just excited to say, see JDM back in the octagon. I mean, his stock is at an all-time high right now. He really hasn't been tested or fought super high-level competition yet. And getting a guy with real knockout power um, in the muscle hamster, you know, he's, he's going to be willing to scrap. He's going to take some chances. This should be a fan-friendly affair. And I just want to see, you know, more of the skills that Jack has. But I am not betting against Jack, and I am not putting him on a parlay because his odds are too big. Let's see. I think he was like minus 1,200 last I looked or something crazy. JDM. I don't even have him on this one. Weird. But his odds are pretty big. If, if they're under 500, I'll, I'll bet him. But I doubt it. And then we have the retirement fight for the prelim headliner. We got Robbie Ruthless Lawler, the 41-year-old with a 29-16 and 16 record, taking on Nico, the hybrid price, 33 years old with a 15-6 and 6 record. Now, it's always fun when we get Ruthless Robbie Lawler in the octagon, man. Uh, he announced this will be his retirement fight. And he's getting a game opponent in, in a, not must win, but definitely in need of a win himself. So it's not like he's just going to let Robbie, you know, walk through him. It's a fight game. They get paid to win. But uh, Robbie trains out of Killcliffe FC. He's a former welterweight champion with two successful title defenses. He's been a bad man for a long time. He's got five fight of the nights. In 14 and 15, he was fighter of the year. In 2014, he had the fight of the year against Johnny Hendricks at UFC 171. In 15, the fight of the year was Rory McDonald. That's going to be in the Hall of Fame at UFC 189. In 2013, he was the comeback fighter of the year. In 2016, he also had fight of the year against Carlos Condit at UFC 195. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since the beginning of 2020. Hasn't been that active in his 40s, but can you blame him? Uh, the fights he's shown out, though, he's shown out. He's a Strike Force Elite XC Pride and King of the Cage alum. Nico, he's got a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since the beginning of 2021. He does have a 3.5-inch leg reach advantage. 10 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Four of his six losses are via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, Nico's in his prime. You know, he definitely needs a win here. He's going to have the age and energy advantage, so to speak. I believe the first round is going to be chaos. Nico's going to have to last. I think if he does get this fight to the ground, which I'm sure will be in his strategy, and tire the 41-year-old ruthless Robbie out, he'll find a way to victory. I am taking Nico Price. I am not putting it on a parlay. Let's go, Ruthless. I want Robbie Lawler to get that knockout victory. Come on, man. Go out on top. So entering the main card, we get the hype train, Bo Nickel, the 27-year-old undefeated 4-0 fighter, taking on Treshawn, Mr. Vicious Gore, the 29-year-old fighter with a 5-2 record. Now, I'm really excited to see Bo back in the octagon against stiffer competition. I'm curious to see if Bo's going to let his hands go in this fight on a major stage, 
pay-per-view main card kickoff fight, international fight week in Las Vegas, or is he going to stick with the win in formula and try to get the takedown early? Now, Bo has a D1 wrestling background out of Penn State. He was a three-time gold medalist in uh, NCAAs. He also has a gold in the U.S. and U23 World Championships in 2019. He trains out of American Top Team with a bunch of dogs. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. He does have a three-inch leg reach advantage. And he's on a four-fight winning streak. He's 3-0 in the UFC, including both contender series fights. I know with the rebrand, I'll say this again. If they fought Ultimate Fighter, Finale, or Contender Series, I count that as a UFC victory or loss. Uh, he's also an Icon FC alum for Jorge Masvidal. Treshawn uh, trains out of ATT Atlanta. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's only 1-2 and two in the UFC, and two of his four wins are via submission. I personally think Mr. Vicious... He's going to come out hot. He's going to make for a very interesting round one. It's going to force Bo to go for the takedown, grind Treshawn out a little bit, get the submission victory. But it'll be interesting if Bo does decide to trade hands or has the speed advantage, what kind of chaos could come from that. Either way, I'm taking Bo Nickel. I'm not putting him on the parlay. As of now, he's minus 1,200. Doesn't do much for me. Moving on. We got Dan the Hangman Hooker, 33 years old with a 22 and 12 record and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Jalen the Tarantula Turner, 28 years old with a 14 and 6 record and the number 10 next to his name. Man, oh man, does the main card got some brawls. I've been waiting for this one. This was originally booked for UFC 285 in March. I was going to be, or I was there in person, uh, but due to uh, Dan's hand injury, that fight did not happen. So we're getting two men who are down to scrap, let it go, you know, square up with a lot on the line. Jalen isn't even quite in his prime yet. He is coming off a loss, so a win here would be massive for him against a very big name. And while Dan is in the middle of his prime, the time is now. He really needs a win, a string of wins at that. That would be ideal to get him back on the hype train. So when we look at Dan, he obviously trains out of city kickboxing with a kickboxing background. He's an orthodox fighter with a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-3 and three since the beginning of 2021. 11 of his 22 wins are via knockout, 7 by submission. So an impressive 18 of 22 wins via finish. Jalen has a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but was on a five-fight winning streak. Nine of his 13 wins are via knockout. Three of his six losses are via knockout to knockout or be knocked out. He's a Bellator King of the Cage, World Series of Fighting, and Contender Series alum. And he's the tarantula for a reason. He has a three-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. Now, Jalen's definitely a problem. I bet against him when he fought the other city kickboxing alum, Brad Riddell. He made light work of that. Um, he brings a lot of things to lightweight that nobody else can with his length and precision striking. I think this is going to be an awesome back-and-forth battle. I'm taking Dan in a firefight, though. This is so much on the line for him. He knows it. The time is now. 
I think he's going to be pushing forward and look to outlast Jalen in a strategic kickboxing fight. I'm taking the underdog. I'm taking the hangman. We mark, we put him on that parlay. We market it down, and we gain that bread. Moving on. It's not even the co-main event. These last three fights, hallelujah. We got Robert the Reaper Whitaker, 32 years old with a 25-6 and six record and the number two next to his name, taking on Dracus Stillnox Duplessis, the 29-year-old fighter with a 19-2 and two record and the number five next to his name. Now, Robert has been the mainstay. He's been the class of the division. He has just not been able to find a, a, a path to victory against the elusive and amazing Israel Adesanya. I do think Robert is better everywhere than Dracus. There's division. There's levels to this division, and he's going to show him that there's levels to this game. I think Robert outclasses Dracus, and um, you know Duplessis has been on a fast rise to the top. He's beaten some some OGs, some very tough veterans. But this is a different story. Now Robert has a black belt in Hapkido. He's got a Goju Ryu karate background and BJJ as well. He was voted the 2018 GQ Australia Sportsman of the Year. He won gold in the uh, 2017 Australian National Wrestling Championships. He's the former middleweight champion. He's the first Australian-born UFC champion, ultimate fighter winner, and he's tied for second for the most post-fight bonuses in middleweight history. And he was the 2017 Fighter of the Year. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 6-2 since he was the champion with both losses to Izzy. Duplessis is an orthodox fighter. He has a second-degree black belt in kickboxing. Two of his last four fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's been showing out. He's been getting that bread. He's on a seven-fight winning streak and is 5-0 in the UFC. 10 of his 19 wins are via submission, 8 via knockout. So a very impressive 18 of 19 wins via finish. Now, Dracus has surprisingly done well with his cardio. He's a big muscular guy. He looks to be tired, but he keeps going. He had a nose issue. He has since fixed, so it'll be interesting to see how that does with his breathing and his cardio. I've really been impressed with his fighting. You know, he had wins against Brad Tavares, Darren Till, and Derek Brunson. But none of those compared to Robert Whitaker. None of them have the striking ability that Robert does. It'll be interesting to see Duplessis' strategy, especially, I would assume he has the, the, the heavy volume output in round one, the first round barrage. I expect Robert to be able to shut it down with his powerful kicks, close range, outscore him, and exhaust him, and use his IQ and his experience to his advantage. I'm taking the Reaper, Robert Whitaker. There's levels to this game. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. The co-main event for the Flyway Championship, the trilogy. Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno, the 29-year-old fighter with a 21-6-2 record, taking on Alexandre the Cannibal Pantoja. 33-year-old fighter with a 25-5 record and the number two next to his name. Obviously, Brandon's very accustomed to running it back at this point. 
This will be the trilogy between these two men. He is seeking his first win against Pantoja, which was a little bit different than the quadrilogy with Divison Figueredo. Brandon definitely is a little bit younger. We've seen the evolution of the baby-faced assassin with the different gyms. I do believe Pantoja is the fighter. Um, you know, what we've seen of him is the fighter that he'll be. I don't think we'll see a lot of wrinkles to the game. Pantoja really outbacks, outboxed Brandon in their previous fight. Um, I watched the fight back recently. He definitely has a power advantage as well. But I don't expect it to be as bad, especially with the changing of gyms that Brandon's done and the new boxing focus. When we break these guys down, Brandon trains out of Fortis MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is an ultimate fighter and LFA alum. Four of his last five fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's been showing out. He's a fan favorite. 11 of his 21 wins are via submission. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Alexandre trains at ATT. He's an ultimate fighter and RFA alum. Four of his last six fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. These guys have been showing out. They're the class of the division. There's no reason to think another performance or fight of the night isn't possible here. Alexandre is on a three-fight winning streak, and 10 of his 25 wins are via submission. Now, Brandon's been way more active than Pantoja the past five years. I think he's leveled up, consistently facing the best flyweight competition in the world. Now, Pantoja has dominated since he has trained at ATT. I think they added a lot of good things to his game. He's going to have the power advantage as he always has. But as the fight goes on, which he is not accustomed to five-round fights, I give the advantage to Moreno. Pantoja has his ha hands down sometimes when he's comfortable too, and he doesn't attack with the volume that Moreno does. I could see him with some new openings. It'll be interesting to see how he handles the boxing, but I'm sticking with the champ. I'm taking the babyface assassin. We market him on that parlay, and we gain that bread. Moving on to the main event, the fight we've all been waiting for, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, the 34-year-old fighter with a 25-2 record, taking on Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, who's only 30 years old with a 16-3 record and the number one next to his name. One thing is for sure, every fight Yair and Volk are in is must-see TV. They're banger alerts all day, every day. This main event is going to be awesome because Volkanovsky is going to stand and strike with the one-of-one, one, as Dominic Cruz says, in the wild Yair Rodriguez. Now, Yair has been training at 12,000 feet as some Aztec homage place. I have no doubt that the output between both of these men over the course of five rounds is going to be next level, and both of them will have the cardio and will be prepared. I expect Yair to attack with some wild shots. If Yair's going to win this fight, I doubt he's going to outpoint Volkanovski. If Max couldn't do it, I'm not too sure how he could. He is going to have to find the openings and get the finish, which is a very tall task. But maybe we see some new wild spinning shot uh, strikes, some flying techniques. I mean, he is known for the crazy last-second knockout over the Korean Zombie, the up elbow. 
I mean, we've seen anything and everything from Yair Rodriguez, and I'm sure they're preparing something. But, again, a tall task to beat the Alexander the Great, who is unstoppable in the featherweight division. Now, Alexander trains out of city kickboxing. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's an ex-rugby player. He has four successful title defenses. Three of his last four fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He put in on a show. He's got the highest striking differential in UFC featherweight division history with over 3.12 strikes. He has the most total leg strikes landed in a featherweight division history fight, 81 against Jose Aldo. He's the pound-for-pound number one fighter. He's the 2019 Breakout Fighter of the Year, the 2022 International Fighter of the Year, the 2021 Fight of the Year against Brian Ortega. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but is undefeated in the featherweight division. Since his loss to Islam, he's no longer the pound-for-pound, but he was for one time and definitely is dominating the featherweight division. And 12 of his 25 wins are via knockout. Now, Yair has a kickboxing background. He has a black belt in Taekwondo. He is an Ultimate Fighter Latin America alum and champion. He is the interim featherweight champion. Four of his last six have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He always is putting on shows. Grab your popcorn. He's tied for the most post-fight bonuses in featherweight division history. He has nine tied with the legends Cub Swanson and Max Holloway at only 30 years old. He has the latest knockout in UFC history. Boza TKO's highlight right there. At one second left, the up elbow against the Korean Zombie. God, that was a masterpiece. He had the 2018 knockout of the year with that knockout against Chan Sung Jung. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and two of his three losses are via knockout. Now, let's be honest. Alexander is in peak form. He's in his prime. He just pushed the amazing Islam Makachev for all he had in a five-round scrap. And as much as I enjoy Yair and the ability that he brings, I don't think he's going to be able to finish Alex. I don't think he's going to be able to outgrapple Alex. I don't think he could outpoint him in a five-round affair. I think, again, Yair's best shot is going to be a finish. He's going to have to throw some wild strikes to get himself that option and shock the world for Makiko. But I am taking Alexander. I am putting him on my parlay. We are marking it down, and we getting that bread. So again, what are we, 29 and 19 for bows and TKOs on the year? We're trying to run it up. We got some dogs in, the, the, in our, our bets. We're taking some of the underdogs. They're coming to eat. International Fight Week. Stay tuned. We'll be recapping right after um, on Sunday as well. Podcast dropping Monday. But next week after this weekend's fight, another solid Apex card. The third weekend of UFC in Vegas in a row. And this one starts primetime, 7 p.m. on ESPN, headlined by the number third ranked Holly Holm and the number 10th ranked Myra Buena Silva. We out here, Boza TKO's episode five. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.